Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Toronto and in the Bay Area to speak with Sean Woodley and Charles Hamilton for their respective teams' sides of the Game 2 uh, recap from the NBA Finals. We'll also go to Minnesota to speak with Colton Molesky of Locked On Wolves about the Timberwolves hiring a new head coach and a new general manager. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys and welcome back to Locked On NBA for another week. This is the Monday edition. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast and the lead analyst at basketballmonster.com. We're going to be doing a game two recap from the NBA finals, looking at it from the Raptors perspective and from the Warriors perspective perspective as well, and looking at the Minnesota Timberwolves and their new front office and head coach who are in place now for this upcoming offseason. Guys, let's get to it. Game two of the NBA Finals is in the book, so let's now bring on the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast. Sean Woodley is here to discuss game two from a Toronto perspective. Uh, unfortunately for you, Sean, and all Toronto fans, the Raptors go down. The series is tied one game apiece now. Kyle Lowry uh, fouling out late in the game. What was the biggest... I wasn't say disappointment because the Raptors had this game not in control, but they were up at halftime. The third quarter was a real problem. What was what went wrong in that third quarter that enabled Golden State to really turn it around despite being under the pump themselves with quite a few injuries? Yeah, I think the thing that stood out to me most was that the Warriors just like really kind of found their old offense, like the, the stuff that they've been running really, really well for you know the entire Blazer series and like the stuff that they used to run without Kevin Durant way back in the day that everyone loves. And it was just like a little bit too crisp for the Raptors to handle and they weren't really prepared for it. I don't think the Warriors had run offense like that so far in the series. And they, they're, they're, they're back cutting and they're using Steph as a screener and they're using all of his gravity to leverage good looks. And you had DeMarcus Cousins throwing really great passes out of the post as well. And I just don't think the Raptors were really ready for it. And they kind of adjusted as the game went along. And they, I mean, they almost held the Warriors without any points in the last six minutes of the game until Andre Iguodala hit that big three by going to the weird box in one defense that uh you know you just you find in a high school game but it worked and it, it seemed it, it brought them back in the game and gave them a real shot to win it but um yeah i just think they were not really ready for sort of the the verve and the crispness with which the, the, the warriors ran their offense in that third quarter and they they just like it caught them off guard one thing I guess we look at, if we look at this Raptors box score from this game is just how poorly they shot 30, under 38% from the field, under 30% from three as well. And they, they aren't numbers that are sustainable in terms of being that poor. But was it a case of the Raptors just missing a ton of gettable shots or was the, the Warriors really clamped down defensively to cause that or a little bit of both? Like, is that, that I guess is, to me, it's a, it's a positive sign that you can be in that position to get as close as you were and to have that demanding, commanding lead in the first half and still shoot that poorly. 
Yeah, I thought for the most part, you know, I'm coming away from this game not feeling terribly dejected if I'm a Raptors fan because of what you mentioned. They got a ton of good looks. They had it on in their fingertips at the end of the game. Kyle Lowry doesn't foul out on a kind of silly foul. The, the refs don't rack up foul trouble for every single player on the floor on both sides in the first half. And maybe this one's a little bit different. Um, and I think, you know, considering you mentioned the, the injuries as well, they, you know, they, they've they're kind of been beaten up. The Warriors have. So I think if you're looking ahead to the series based on the look the Raptors have gotten for the most part outside of that first part of that third quarter where it really seemed like the Warriors locked in uh, and they sort of switched up the matchup. They had Draymond guarding Kawhi Leonard for a bit. You know, outside of that, the, the Raptors did a pretty good job of creating looks. I mean, there was the wide open Pascal Siakam three. There were a couple Kawhi Leonard threes late in the game that were just absolutely wide open as well. And the process, I think, has been there. And you, you want to create those looks against this Warriors team because you got to give yourself that, that. Like they've really sort of, I think, prided themselves on taking a bunch of threes, both against the Bucks and Warriors, because of the math. They've kind of changed their shot distribution, and I think the process has been there. It wasn't there to win the game tonight because the Warriors, you know, they they just built too much of a cushion there but uh, I don't think you should be terribly dejected right now if you're a Raps fan Big fall from grace for Pascal Siakam from his game 1 performance to his game 2 performance nothing seemed to go in, this is a guy that hit what 13 shots in a row in game 1 and then ended up hitting just uh, what 5 out of 18 in this game did the Warriors change anything mm-hmm. on him defensively to, to cause this or was this just a case of game 1 it was never going to continue and then it's fallen off in a big way and this won't continue with him shooting 28% either yeah, it's not going to be the same as this either, right? I think, you know, Draymond Green's a really good defender. It was kind of ominous after game one when Draymond Green said, all right, I just got to take him out of the series because if there's someone who can actually follow through on that and take a very good player out of the series, it's probably Draymond Green. And so I thought he did a really good job and made a concerted effort to sort of just harass Pascal Siakam. They, they didn't quite get the same number of opportunities for Siakam to get out and run. When they did get on the break, it was a lot of sort of what, what Giannis sees, just like dudes sort of walling up and keeping him from the paint and really sort of a team effort to keep that the the transition defense for the Warriors in this game was just so so much better than it was in game one which you would have expected um you know I think Siakam still has tricks in his bag you know they they he's he's found ways to find counters he's gone up against three of the best defenders in the entire world this this playoff run in Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo and now Draymond Green and you know he hasn't been terribly efficient all, all the way because those guys are really really good at defense and they're using a lot of defensive resources every team he plays to shut him down but no He's not going to go 5 of 18 every night. He had a bunch of wide-open corner threes. He has not been great on corner threes in the postseason, but his body of work over the course of the regular season suggests to me that that should break and sort of come back to the mean as well at some point here soon. Um, you know, the Raptors don't need Siakam to be like a 25, 30-point scorer in most nights because, you know, they do have, with Fred Van Vliet playing as well as he is now, and Marcus Saul and Kyle Lowry, like they have enough guys to chip in. But yeah, you, you want to see him sort of get just just a fifty percent night from the field is kind of what you need from Pascal Siakam. The Warriors made a change, putting Demarcus Cousins in as the, as the starting center. He struggled early, but really did play well down the stretch. How do you see that Cousins matchup going for Mark? Like for Marcus Gasol, is that something that works uh, to Gasol's advantage, or is it a, a little bit more of a troubling situation that Cousins is back and starting and looked good outside of the first you know, few minutes of the first quarter of the game? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's probably a win for the Raptors based on just like his conditioning level and the fact that whenever they target him in the pick and roll, they've had a lot of success, especially early on in the game. They had a lot of chances early in the game to sort of you know target and sort of draw Cousins into the play, and Kawhi Leonard really took advantage of him there in those situations. Hit a couple threes and sort of kind of found his way to the basket around Cousins because of the lack of lateral quickness there pretty easily. 
On offense, obviously, he's a little bit more dynamic than Kevon Looney. Looney's just kind of a grab lobs and, and get putbacks kind of guy. Um, but, you know, for what the Warriors need, I almost think Looney is sort of better served in the in the Warriors offense than Cousins is because, honestly, if you're if you're the Raptors and DeMarcus Cousins is going to be eating up possessions from the high post, I think you'd prefer that to Steph Curry running a whole bunch of pick and roll. And obviously, having DeMarcus Cousins from the high post means Steph Curry's free to do stuff off ball, which is troublesome, obviously. But uh, I think the trade-off of that, you know, with what Cousins is on defense compared to Looney or any of the other bigs on the Warriors, I think you're okay with that. It's going to be interesting to see how all this pans out, Sean, over the coming uh, games, the uh, Warriors with those injuries, the, the Raptors looking to get some shots to actually fall. Everything uh, about this finals, uh, the games coming up, previews, reviews, you'll have it all from a Toronto perspective over on Locked On Raptors. So thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA again with me. Thanks, Josh. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, Locked On NBA, over on the new Himalaya podcast app. Go download that app. It's free. It's super easy to use. Every single podcast you are looking for is there. They have personally curated playlists made just for you by their expert podcast taste makers, themed collections of shows. You can follow your favorite show and your favorite creators. So go download the Himalaya app on the App Store or the Google Play Store. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to Locked On NBA when you're there. Let's get the Golden State perspective on Game 2 of the NBA Finals now. We'll bring Charles Hamilton in, the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast. Golden State ties it up one game apiece, Charles, and uh, it was a win. It wasn't a pretty one, but it was a win. Let's start, though, by talking about the injury updates for the Warriors, who, of course, we know that Kevin Durant is out. He may not be back for Game 3, but suffering numerous injuries during this game. We had Clay Thompson go down with a hamstring injury. Kavon Looney going down with what something that Shams Sharani has said was a, a sprained collarbone, which doesn't sound right. It's a, obviously some issue with his chest. What's the outlook on both of those guys? Looney, he said he'll, he'll be good to go. He thinks he's fine. I don't know. With his injury history, it's tough to tell. Uh, with Clay, I, you know, it's cliche, but I think you have to cut his leg off to get him to not play. And I think you just go out and play with one leg. I mean, last finals after uh, J.R. Smith, you know, rolled into his le- uh, ankle and knee and put the figure four on him for 10 minutes, he came back and played the rest of the series. So I think that he, he won't be 100%, obviously, but I do think Clay will be back. And uh, he's, he's like a, a true Iron Man when it comes to playing. He, he never really sits. Um, but Looney's much more questionable. Uh, so we'll see, which also makes, you know, uh, Cousins' performance that much more important and, you know, could make Bogut uh, a, an important pickup that they made. Look, Clay, Clay's saying that he's fine and you know, all these injuries that he suffered. A hamstring can be pretty tough to, to play through, especially defensively, yeah. trying to move and push off and accelerate and that sort of stuff. So I guess we'll have to see because he could come in and play, and if he's not right, it could be more harmful than him not playing. Of course, if he is out and Durant is out, then that wing rotation looks really, really shaky. It's a, it's a big one. Mm. It's probably more important than the Looney uh, injury, although you know Looney has been playing well, but with the way that Cousins stepped up, played 28 minutes a night after a really poor start, but was able to get it going later on in the game. It's going to be key to watch there uh, as we wait these next couple of days. Apparently, Clay's having an MRI on Monday to check on the severity of this hamstring strain. But you know, I guess the indications are that he will play, but we don't know that for sure. The other thing is, Charles, that Steph Curry had an illness before the game. Uh, they tried to downplay some of the severity of that, but it appears that he wasn't fully... Um, Fully right there, so that's that's a pretty big factor. And these Golden State Warriors, for as much as people want to talk about you know, multiple All-Stars and MVPs and all that sort of stuff, getting a win like this on the road with these injuries and these in-game injuries, it, it's a huge effort. 
injuries, in-game injuries. Steph did not have a great game. I mean, that's, I guess you kind of have to be worried about it if you're Toronto, but in the same sense, I don't think Kawhi's had a great game out of either the first two either, so Warriors are probably worried about that. But, yeah, it was, I mean, uh, three Quinn Cook threes are huge. Andre Iguodala finding his three for the first time since game six against Houston was big. Uh, Sean Livingston gave him good minutes. It it was impressive. Bogut gave him good minutes, a guy who I honestly did not think we'd see throughout the finals. And then Looney goes down, you see Bogut get, what, three alley-oops, one of them like a, a just a tip-in alley-oop, uh, just odd. But it also goes back to the fact that they played with him and they you know, still have uh, that, that sort of chemistry, I guess. But you said it. I mean, it was a huge performance for, for most of the team. I mean, there were some bad ones also, but... Uh, it, this this was a major undertaking and a big win, especially because with KD eventually coming back, maybe it's game three, looking more like game four, game five, you know, just hold hold it down. Uh, I, if he comes back game four, I said, if they can be down 2-1, that's fine. If they can be up 2-1, I mean, obviously even better. So this was huge for them tonight. Iguodala, of course, we haven't mentioned this. He hit the game uh, game ceiling three, wide open three at the end of the <laughs> game to, to put it away in what was a really tough last you know, six minutes or so where the Warriors couldn't get anything going at all as the Raptors changed their defense up. What If the Raptors go back to that sort of defense again, like how can the Warriors change up what they were doing? Because they just couldn't get anything to happen offensively. Yeah, you know, they did miss some some not wide open shots, but makeable shots. That was part of it. And also... Um, you know, I guess it was what a box and one kind yeah. of a, a zone with you know Fred Van Fleet uh, tagging stuff. But as far as I just don't think the Warriors were prepared for it, and I think now that they've seen it, Steve Kerr, Ron Adams, the the coaching staff will try and figure something out. But I I agree, yeah, that last six minutes was ugly. Uh, I don't think they scored at all until that Iguodala three to wrap it up. So. It's definitely something that they've seen now and can try and figure something out. But at the same time, I did think there were just some some missed shots. Quinn missed a couple uh, easy looks. So did uh, uh, Cousins as well. I think they might have gotten a little tired too. You know, towards the end, they Steve Kerr's definitely to the point where I think he might start trimming his rotation as much as he can, uh, considering the injuries. And then we'll see guys starting to play closer to forty minutes a game. And uh, yeah, I mean Steph Steph's gassed and the illness too. I'm sure obviously didn't help either. Let's talk about Cousins a bit here because he did come back into the starting lineup for this game and it wasn't a great start to the game for him. But by the end of the game, he was a key part of this win. Was there anything specific that seemed to change with him? Was it just getting more accustomed to getting back on the court and you know, having after having such a long layoff and you know, barely played in game one? Because it, it was like at the start, you were seeing you know, people commenting, can Cousins even play in this series? He's getting like worked here. And then it really flipped, and he became a, a key part here. So, what was that change? Was it, was it just a familiarity thing, or getting getting that rhythm back into the game? I you have to imagine just getting back to playing. You know, he hadn't played in six weeks, and I agree. I when I saw he was starting, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. But he is their most skilled big man, no question about it. And he still has a lot of that skill. So, you imagine some of it would come back, come together a little bit. Um, one thing that they did that I I had talked about on unlocked on Warriors was maybe they try and run the offense through him. Uh, there was a stretch when KD was out and the Warriors beat both Houston and Denver with, uh, with cousins in the lineup, you know, everyone else was healthy and they were running the offense through him. And I, 
I don't have his numbers in front of me. I think he had six assists tonight. Yeah, he did. He was also uh, getting getting the boards and pushing. I mean, not at this pace that Draymond would like, but he was running a little point center, point forward, whatever, and uh, was able to distribute. And for whatever reason, it worked. I mean, I don't know why it worked better than you know Draymond going 100 miles an hour, but for whatever reason, it worked. And I do think it's just the fact that he's getting back on the court. You know, he's. Yeah, I think he's played. Uh, basketball. I think KD said it. You know, he's only played basketball three out of the last eighteen, nineteen months. So it's just hard to imagine that he's fully in rhythm. But tonight was a, a big step forward. It's going to be interesting to see how all these injury news: Looney, Durant, uh, Thompson, Steph Curry's illness. How all this plays out over the coming days in the lead up to Game Three, and of course, Charles will have all of that coverage for you over on Locked On Warriors as the games travel back now, or switch back to the Bay Area, back to Oakland for Games Three and Four. Charles, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Today's show also brought to you by Grip6BeltsAndHotels.com. Go to Hotels.com, be there, do there, get rewarded, and Grip6, Grip6, that's the number 6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E, ultra lightweight, no holes, no flap, a great Father's Day gift, Grip6.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked on Timberwolves podcast, Colton Molesky is here to talk about Minnesota. We haven't really talked about them uh, a huge amount lately, but they have had some moves recently to just finalize the hiring of, uh, or I guess the finalization of a head coach, a new GM in town, Colton as well, Gerson Rosas from the Houston Rockets as the GM and Ryan Saunders, who was the interim head coach after the Tom Thibodeau firing last season, has been appointed the full-time head coach. Was there, let's start with Saunders, was there any real thought that this was going to go any other direction? There was for a split second when the hair, uh, when the hair rose us, I thought, well, maybe he's going to look at different guys. I mean, maybe Saunders just isn't his guy. But then they just go with the, with the easier hire. I, uh, I was a little disappointed, not necessarily with the hire, just with the process. I felt like they, really jumped on a hire that was going to be available for them at the end of June, really rushed the process. Didn't feel like they really did due diligence as far as finding their candidate, finding the next head coach and went with the easy decision when they were doing the press conference afterwards with Gerson there. uh, He said all the stereotypical things you say about a head coach, right? I mean, we love his work ethic. We think he can help the team get better. We like the direction he's going to take us all the stereotypical things. But then he also said, we really like the relationships with the players and the way he handles the locker room. Something I, I'm not going uh, verbatim, but something to that effect. And it, it was clear, oh, this is the reason. Amongst all the regular stereotypical stuff that you say about your head coach, this is the reason you hired him. Because you had a bad head coach before as far as the locker room situation. The locker room was a mess for the last couple of years. Nobody really liked Tibbs, and now you just wanted to go with the guy that didn't make waves in the locker room, try and keep the players happy for a consistent amount of time this this round of coaching. And for better or worse, that's why Saunders was hired. And while he does some things well, while he might need some work in some other areas of his coaching, uh, of his co- coaching ability, 
that's why he got hired was to not make waves in a locker room that's had a lot of stress over the last couple of years. It's a pretty common thing that happens with coaching. You get the the real hard-ass coach and then he gets fired because that act's worn thin and the player's coach comes in and then that act doesn't work as well because the players tune him out and then they go back. It's just a, it's a very consistent way, especially when you go somewhere as hard as what Thibodeau is and as a... Um, I don't know what the right term is, uh, un- inhuman as possible in terms of his interactions with, with other people that you're just going to go the complete other direction. And the players obviously respond to that. And Saunders, uh, you know, Saunders fit that bill during the course of the season. But there are plenty of people, Colton, who aren't in favor of, of this hire. A lot of you know, talk of um, you know, not the, the process not being the, the, the uh, most expansive, the calls of nepotism, I guess. Yeah, obviously, Ryan Saunders is Flip Saunders' son, a huge part of the Minnesota Timberwolves franchise, and then just bringing him on without him necessarily being the best or second best or third best candidate. Is, is that a, is that a is that something I'm seeing from a limited section of Wolves people, or is that a legitimate concern there uh, amongst uh, Minnesota people? No, I've been right away after Saunders was hired. I kind of made the rounds talking with different media people around the Twin Cities, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's it's it's not just fans, it's media people too. It's guys covering the team day in and day out that are saying, you know what, this kind of feels like nepotism. This kind of feels. Like they made the easy choice around somebody who is a a bit of a legacy kid versus somebody who has actually proven why he should have this position. And again, I'm not saying that Saunders is necessarily the wrong choice, but you don't help yourself out or do give yourself any, any favors or any leeway with this hire. When you hire him right out the gate, don't really go through the process of looking into a bunch of other coaching options. I mean, I said this to a, a friend of mine who, who does radio around the Twin Cities area. It, it constantly feels like the Timberwolves are, are always betting in an empty room. They're speed betting in an empty room. They're making, they're making plays with money faster than anybody else that's not trying. To, and that nobody's even trying for these guys. They did this with Wiggins, jumping on Wiggins right away. And with Saunders. I mean, you can't. Can you honestly say that Saunders wasn't going to be available in June or July? Mm. I, I mean, why why did you have to rush this? Yeah, look, I, I don't think the Cavs were going there. The Grizzlies still still don't have a head coach, but I don't think they were making any moves there. He wasn't on the Lakers' radar, really. You know, he could have still been. Yeah, and it's not ideal to be going into this situation a couple of weeks away from the draft with no head coach in place, but you could have had that as a fallback option. There's almost no doubt about that. He's not a highly in-demand candidate, and that's part of, I guess, part of the criticism, not only just that the nepotism calls, is that he wasn't an in-demand candidate. Like he wasn't. They weren't fighting off other suitors to get Ryan Saunders in here to be a head coach. He's really young. He has, he's inexperienced. He look. There's not. He wasn't bad last year as a coach. He wasn't overly great. I didn't look, look at him and go, "Well, this is fantastic. He's done these things." He did improve some things, and obviously, Carl Anthony Towns was significantly better in the portion of the season without Tom Thibodeau in charge. And that can be considered a positive. We've got more developmental minutes from Okogie. We've got Keita Bates' job getting in there and playing a little bit more as well, something which would only have happened if Thibodeau was hospitalized. So these are, are positives, but it was never anything where we look at it and go, yeah, that's fantastic. And these are these are huge moves that he's made that is bettering the franchise. So I guess we'll see how it goes. But the other move that they did make here, of course, is bringing in that new GM. You've talked about his thoughts, uh, Gerson Rosas, who, who came across from the Rockets, his thoughts on, on Saunders. But have, have we heard anything else from him? What's his style? Are we looking more at a Daryl Morey type of uh, front office perspective? He's learned under Morey. That doesn't mean he's going to be employing everything that, that Daryl did there. Any thoughts on you know, his uh, opinions on guys, the untradeable contracts, the Andrew Wigginses, his free agency approach? What have we heard from Rosas in that sort of regard? 
Well, first of all, I mean, you're you're speaking to the the secret hopes of every Timberwolves fan is that maybe he'll be the next Daryl Morey. Uh, but I, I like this. He was with the Rockets for 16 seasons, I, and I like that mentality that you're bringing into it, and not necessarily with the three-point shooting with the offense, but I like the idea of somebody who knows how to build around a singular superstar and really, really – accentuate the attributes that they're bringing to the game. So with, obviously I'm talking about James Harden with the Rockets. They did a good job, not only in free agency, but also with some drafts, grabbing guys who are going to be fitting around James Harden and really elevating his play style and making that the number one goal to make sure that Harden is, is being the best player that he can be. And then fitting a roster around him. I think that's probably the best way to construct this Timberwolves team going forward is because you're not going to get big name free agents up in Minnesota. It's just, it rarely is going to happen if ever. And so what do you do? You need to be able to either construct trades, get really good role players in free agency or draft really well. And with a guy who was really good and came from a place that was really good at building uh, with multiple different options in around your superstar, I think that you can apply that same kind of theory of building a team to the Timberwolves and building around towns. And will that be the exact same as in Houston? No, but I I think that there's a lot that you can learn from Houston as far as constructing this next leg of the Timberwolves franchise. And that's another reason where I wasn't concerned about getting a a coach before the draft because I'm I'm perfectly fine letting Gerson – go through the draft process and select a guy and find a player to add to the Timberwolves roster. That's totally fine with me. If he's the one making that call because he comes from a place that's been very good about picking their players and picking their guys to add to the, to the squad around James Harden. And so I had confidence in him going into the draft and that's why I didn't think there should have been any urgency around the head coaching. Uh, As far as what he can do in free agency, it's obviously unless they make a move, to try and get out under one, out from under one of these contracts, he's going to have a very tight wallet. But there are still some things. I mean, they have about $18 million in, in space this summer. There are still a couple of things you can do, a couple of little moves you can get for some wingle room, try and find a couple, couple guys to come off the bench and, and help you out. And I'm excited to see what he does and the players he goes for. I think that overall, this was one of the better hires the Timberwolves have made over the last couple of seasons. I agree with that. Rose's name has been brought up many times over the past couple of years as, as a key uh, target for, for many teams as a GM. And I really do like that hire. And hopefully he can start to get things back on track and try and sort out some of the uh, the contracts and uh, decision-making and uh, and players that fit what they need to do for this Timberwolves, Timberwolves team. Of course, Colton, you'll have uh, any coverage of free agency, draft, all that stuff that Minnesota is going to undergo in the next couple of months over on Locked on Wolves. So thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me today. Of course, and make sure you go in and check it out. I had Zach Noble of uh, Four Seasons, uh, the Four Season podcast, on the show last week, and we were talking about he, he's from a Minnesota boy too, talking about KG, talking about what the Timberwolves need to do going forward, all that good stuff with Zach Noble. Make sure you check out that pod. Yeah, go check that out and check out Locked On or Locked On Wolves in general, and subscribe to that, of course, using the Himalaya Podcast app. Thank you, Colton. And there you have it, another episode of Locked On NBA in the books. Make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast by using the Himalaya podcast app. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. And follow the network at Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Check out our sponsors, Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.